Okay, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We'll be picking up in, in verse 25. We'll be breaking in, if you will. I know this is, it should be familiar scripture to all of us. It's the Good Samaritan, right? You know, oftentimes, the Good Samaritan, and when we read through it, you know, we pass over it as a simple text, and sometimes we, we have the tendency to overlook the fact that that because a priest and a Levite is used as an example and we are obviously not priests and Levites we it's easy for us to get that degree of separation to where we go hey you know I'm not a priest and I'm not a Levite so you know yeah shame on them priests and Levites you know once again here you have like a Pharisee and a Sadducee with a lot of the examples that are given to us in in the New Testament as well, right? We'll, we'll say, ah, oh, he's talking about them Pharisees and he's talking about them Sadducees. So it's not really concerning a, a New Testament member of the church when you go, well, hold on a second, time out. You got to back it up and go, no, wait, what's the lesson? And where do I fit in this? And how does this apply to me? Uh, you know, in every lesson that you can see, there's always a, a righteous and an unrighteous thing that, you know, uh, attribute to it. In this case, in verse 25, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That question is still asked to this day. Is it not? What, what person haven't you met in their search and quest for God doesn't ask, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, it's a fair question. <clears throat> And he said to them, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and he went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came up to him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil on, and wine on them. And he put them on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. You know, I've, I've often wondered, and I, I thought about this, this thing, that this, this question anyways, 
He, he looked at an opportunity to justify himself, and he utilized the opportunity to say, well, who's my neighbor? To say that we haven't had a similar discussion amongst us as brethren would be a lie. Wouldn't it? We've had a very similar discussion. In an effort to justify ourselves, we said, well, who's our neighbor? And then, generally speaking, ten minutes of dialogue goes along with that, and we see our neighbor is only the person that sits next to you in the pew. That is scripturally inaccurate. Scripturally inaccurate and flies in the face of the very parable that our Lord and Savior has taught us. It is a misapplication. Do I think that it is nefarious? No. Do I think that it's done with malice and intent to drive people away? No. Comes from a good place to want to take care of one another, right? However, it's very selfish, isn't it? The gospel in our life is meant to be shared. We're meant to be a lamp. We're meant to be a light in this community, folks. What, what good is a light and a lamp if you put it under a bushel or a basket? Sound familiar? Oof. Visibility in this community, visibility in our lives and visibility with the world is an absolute necessity and is an absolute indicator of spiritual health for us as a people as well as us as individuals. It's not if you want to. It should, we should be so full of Christ and so full of what the gospel has taught us, so full of what the word of God is, so full of the spirit that it just comes out and it doesn't matter who's around. Do we prefer one another? Absolutely. Why would we do that? Because we get to sit in here today. We know each other. There's a relationship that goes along with that, which is a beautiful thing. A wonderful thing. I enjoy it. Hopefully all of you enjoy that as well. But the beauty of this relationship that we have with one another and our Lord and Savior should permeate every aspect of our life. <clears throat> I've shared with you guys before... <laughs> It, and, and I use it as, as an example of, and it, it, to me it goes right along with the Good Samaritan. And it's been almost 20 years ago now that you know, you're on your way to church. I'm on my way to church and, you know, here we are at a stoplight. And the way Brother Ames used to be, man, if you're not here 15 minutes early, you're late. Right? And so I was, I was running close. It was tight. The window was tight. And I pull up to this intersection. I get off the, the on-ramp from northwest to here. And right in the center of the intersection is someone trying to push their car. They're broke down. 
And I had this little internal struggle, internal fight within myself where, where I thought, well, because I, I was raised, I'm going to tell you guys right now, I was raised that you're the guy that gets out and helps push that car, by the way. I've seen my dad do it before as a kid. I've helped as a kid. I was raised that way, okay? And so I had this internal struggle with inside of me, and I was going, well, if I hop out and help them push the car, I'll be late to church. So I thought, <laughs> you, know, you turn a blind eye. You keep going because you're not going to be late to church. It ate at me the rest of the day because I went against my core value. I went against what I knew was right to meet the, the proper image or the image that I had in my mind about what religion was. I had to repent. I let somebody push that car through the intersection and then someone else helped and so on and so forth, right? I had to repent because to me, I was no different than that Levite and I was no different than that priest. I know what God's word teaches me. I know what he tells me to do, and I know that that internal tugging that was going on in my heart before services, I needed to answer that. You know what? If I'd have gotten in trouble for being late, so what? I wouldn't have gotten in trouble with the guy that makes all the final shots. And what do you think? In a five-minute in, in conversation with Brother Ames, I told him I was late because I had to help someone. He probably gave me a big thumbs up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, but in my mind, I had, I can't do this. It wasn't shortly thereafter. After I repented, I, you know, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, if that ever happens again, uh, I will, I will get out and I will help somebody push that car. It wasn't three weeks later, I think. And it was, I kid you not, it was like the, the gates of heaven opened up and the light shined down and you're like, oh, redemption! I get to go push somebody through the intersection even though it's 105 degrees out right now. But, I, you know, and I was, I think I was on my way to church. It was like, oh, here's my shot. You know what I mean? I, and the Lord granted me redemption. He granted me the opportunity to actually hop out. I was like, I could, I tell you right now, I couldn't get out of the car fast enough. It was like, whoa, put it in park, unbuckle, and I'm, I'm out in that intersection pushing someone through it because I knew I had messed up because it went against the very fiber and core of who I was then you read the good Samaritan you're like oh boy I really failed I don't want to be the scribe I don't or I'm sorry the 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 priest and the Levi I don't want we should not desire to want to do that listen I'll tell you guys this look if someone's busted up or needs your help before church I would rather you help that person. The scripture would rather you help that person. So I won't be there or I'll be late. It's okay. There are 52 Sundays in a year. You understand? Now, if you're looking for people that need help, that's another story, right? Instead of being in church, you go, well, I'm looking for someone. To, I'm just trying to get out of church. That's a different story. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when something is presented to you and you need to help somebody, that is your job. It is your obligation. It is your obligation to do the Christian thing. To not have some kind of predisposed idea in your mind that would prevent you from fulfilling what God would have you to do. 
You could say in verses 31 and 32, it says in the priest and the Levite, you know, modern day, it'd be like a, it'd be like a pastor and a deacon. That's what it would be. The priest was performed the sacrifices, right? The priest would go in and out of the temple, the high priest would, and, but the priest had, they had priestly duties that were inside the temple. They had things that they had to do, right? So they were the righteous. They were, they were closest to God, if you will. The Levites, they were in charge of singing. They were in charge of the ministerial duties of the, of the temple, right? Taking care of things. Translation would be modern day pastor and, and deacon. Be the same thing for us in a New Testament church setting, if you will. So the leadership of the assembly, the leadership of Israel behaved this way. The leadership of our assembly could behave that way as well. It's very possible. So the men, the, the, the people that should have known better, walked to the other side of the road. Now, why do you think you go on the other side of the street? Why would we do that? Because distance, we think, will create comfort. Well, if I just go over here, I'm actually not getting close to them, so I don't have to do this. Uh. They both passed by on the other side. And there were sundry laws, all kinds of laws that couldn't touch and all this other kind of stuff that they had. And so you could see them going by on the other side and it's like, man, how many times in our life have we seen somebody in need of help and we go the other direction. Or we go, ah, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. There's a famous, famous court case. And I'll share this with you guys because it's really interesting. Where a, a woman is murdered outside of, a, uh, outside of her apartment building. Her screams could be heard by all the residents. You want to know what every resident said? Somebody's going to help her. Somebody's going to help her. Nobody went out to help her. She died. Everybody kept thinking somebody else is going to do it. Somebody else will step in. Surely somebody else will help. Even though multiple neighbors, multiple people heard her screams and cries for help. The Samaritan, you know, the thing that, well, we won't get to the Samaritan yet, but the, the, um, the man that was robbed, listen, folks, it's real simple. It's real pure and it's real clear. He got beat up and robbed. He needed help. It's, it's that simple. He just needed help. And the two people that should have helped him walked by on the other side of the road, allowing somebody else to do the work. Somebody else will come. Somebody else will do this. 
Now, I want to share with you guys something that I believe is very, very, very important and not, not by accident. Everybody would agree that nothing that came out of our Lord and Savior's mouth was by accident, coincidence, or chance. Correct? Amen? Every time our Savior taught or spoke, he was teaching as well. Whether it be in the form of just, you know, uh, articulating things or, or rebuke or anything else. Every time he spoke, he taught. There was a lesson to be learned. And obviously we get, a, we get the blessed opportunity to read it in black and white or red and depending on your edition of the Bible. So you look at that and he chose a Samaritan as an example. In verse 33, it says, But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. You see, what happens to us is compassion. What is compassion? Would it not be an emotion? Yes? I feel compassionate to you. Jesus felt compassion on a couple occasions on feeding the 5,000, right? At least one of them. It says, actually, Scripture says he felt compassion on them because they've been in there all day. You want to feed them. He felt compassion. He had compassion on us. What the Pharisee and the Sadducee did is they lacked compassion. We have a term today. It's called empathy. Believe me, I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you on some, in a lot of ways, it's hard to give somebody money that stands on the same street corner every week. And I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. That's, that's your call between you and the Lord. And we become desensitized to people that are truly in need. I get it. But you can't let those, you cannot become desensitized to the point where you cannot feel compassion on people. And with people. Samaritan. They've done just for information. And I call them, you know, a lot of times I will say, and probably because I read it somewhere along the lines, and, and it'll say, well, that's like a half-breed, right? It's just technically not, not accurate. Samaritans claim Jewish lineage. You all know that, right? And actually, they've done DNA studies because there's only about 600 of them left to this day. They actually are. They're very closely related. So they, there's a good chance that the Samaritans are actually, now I, if you were Jewish, you'd probably be really upset at me for saying that, but I'm not, you're not, so guess what? They've done some genealogical studies and have proven that, that the Samaritans are an offshoot of you know, three tribes. And so it, co it goes back to the, when, they became, when they were under Assyrian rule, they stayed, the Jews came back, and so on and so forth. And so, but... With that, there was an internal strife between the Jews, national Israel, and the Samaritans. The Jews did not view the Samaritans as Jews. Correct? They did not look at them like that. Matter of fact, they didn't like them very much because the Samaritans would always say, Hey, you guys forgot about us. We're Jews too. We claim the same lineage.
But the example that Christ chose there is, 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 is a very pointed example because he took somebody that they did not readily admire and said, but the Samaritan did it. Your priest and the Levite didn't, but the Samaritan did. You know, one of the big, the big issues that, that uh, was between uh, the, the Jews and, and uh, the Samaritans was the fact that the Jews worshiped in Mount Moriah and the Samaritans, Mount Gerizim. So when you go back to John chapter 4, remember, he says, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, she says, you think in this mountain you visit God? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the difference in the mountains in which, where God dwells, where they worship God. The Samaritans thought about it. They said, no, you're in the wrong mountain. Or she's in that mountain on Gerizim. They're on Moriah. What? That was a very, how do I want to say that? That was a family discussion. Cousin-like discussion, if you will. So you knew exactly what Jesus was saying. We look at it from our Gentile eyes or our, our, you know, our outsider eyes and we look at it and go, well, what does that mean? Well, it means to us nothing really, except for when you look back on it in the history, you go, oh, okay, I got it. They were talking about some family struggle, some family strife in there. That's what Jesus was telling you. He said, you think it's in this mountain? And he's trying to tell her there. He says, I'll give you living water. What? Talking to a Samaritan again. And this Samaritan here that does exactly what God tells him to do or what God's scripture, he said, felt compassion on him. He was moved to action and his action brought about healing. When we set all those things aside, at the end of the day, the good Samaritan teaches us that our faith and our conviction should move us to action. It's not in our titles. It's not in the place that we're at. All those things will come. They're there. But it's the fact that the, the word of God is real and active in our lives and it moves us to action. That when somebody is in need of help, we stop everything we're doing and we help them. Not only did the Samaritan help him, but he bandaged his wounds, put wine and, and stuff on it and all that other kind of stuff. But he, he put him up in a house in an inn and said, here, I'll pay you this. And if I owe you more when I get back, I'll pay you that. The care concern was something that is important for them to important for all of us to live to, to learn from. Now, in, in Deuteronomy chapter eight, this is what happens to us is we have we, we don't want to let our blessings and our blessed life, if you will, the finer things that we live in and under. We don't want we, we don't want to allow that. To cloud our judgment. Because it can. And this is no new age problem. This has been a problem with mankind since the beginning. Starting in verse 11, it says, Beware you do not forget that the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. 
Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, sound familiar? <laughs> and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water. He brought you for out of the rock of flint, water from out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and, my, and the strength of my hand has made this wealth. But you shall remember that the, the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you power to make wealth, and may confirm that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. It shall come about that if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today, and you will surely perish, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. And so you shall perish because you do not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. So he gives them a stern warning. He gives Israel a stern warning way back in Deuteronomy. He says, listen, when you get over there, and there's other scripture that is used, when you get over there and you get all fat, dumb, and happy, don't forget who your God is. Before we started services today in prayer requests, we talked about living in the greatest nation of the world, right? And I do believe that. But one of the things, one of the challenges that we run into in our nation that makes us great is the amount of choices and the amount of preferences that we get. In other words, the splendor in which we partake in. Your splendor is different than my splendor. But make no mistake about it, we got a whole lot of fancy things dangling around us. You ain't worried about your water being shut off. You ain't worried about where you're going to get your food. You ain't worried about having a roof over your head. Myself included. Is that, is that not true? Matter of fact, if I were to look at all of your pantries, I could look at your pantry. Now, I wouldn't select the food that's in there probably because I have my own personal preferences and desires. But if I were to look at your pantry, it would probably be pretty stocked. <laughs> you look at some of the things that we deal with in this country. For instance, drug abuse, alcoholism, obesity, prevalence of prescription drugs. What, what is that? Those are all the sins of a prosperous nation. You understand? Because if we live somewhere else where we were just concerned about whether or not we found the you know, our herd of goat was going to survive or our cattle was going to survive, we wouldn't be worried so much about whether or not Netflix was $9 a month or $10 a month, right? Or whether or not our satellite TV goes in and out. We have air conditioning. I grew up with swamp coolers. I remember living in a house the first time I ever uh, we stayed in a house that had air conditioning. I thought, what blessed soul created this? Because this is amazing. I never looked back. <laughs> but it's a comfort. It's not a necessity. 
And he tells them there that we cannot allow those kind of things. This is what happens to us is that we have, when we're the priest and we're the Levite or we're the, pre, the pastor, the deacon, or when we've been at this a little while, we, we, we become desensitized to the people that do without. We become desensitized to people in need. Well, how, why? Well, why you look at somebody that has a problem and you go, well, fix it. Maybe they don't know how. When somebody is in need and they're, you know, as the scripture teaches, the ox is in a ditch, you know, we go right on the other side of the road. That's not what the scripture is teaching us. This example that is given to us, brethren, is something that that we must we must remain sensitive to the needs of the people around us. First and foremost, with the household of God. Why? Why would that be the case? It's the easiest. Because I see you twice a week. And we're all committed. We have the same goal. We have the same mind. Well, hopefully, as the scripture teaches us. But our, our faith and our adherence to what the word of God teaches us transcends these these walls, if you will. It goes beyond these walls. It goes into our life. We must be caring and compassionate. In our caring and our compassion, in our, in our effort to show mercy, we show Christ. must remember that our adherence to the scripture is absolutely as we know what it teaches us is absolutely imperative the scripture gives us the textbook the spirit gives us the the inspiration you understand the scripture gives us the textbook the spirit gives us the inspiration you'll know what the word of god says because it teaches us we can read it but it's the spirit that tells us how to put it into practice. How to do what the scripture says to do. In James chapter 2, or chapter 1, sorry. In verse 22 it says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. There is a guarantee of a blessing. By being an effectual doer. It's not rocket science. It's really not that hard. So just peel back the layers here just a minute. You look at the, 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 the good Samaritan and the man that was robbed. It was a scenario that was presented to him in his route of travel. 
You understand? In his route of travel, he's going about, all three of them were going about their normal day-to-day -day business, but yet something popped up in their route of travel, in their normal day. That example is given to us. It says, listen, I know I'm supposed to be at the grocery store right now, or I'm supposed to be at an appointment, or I'm supposed to be doing this. But maybe God's put something in your way to go, oh, hold on a second. Because that's what an effectual doer is. You all have heard me use the term. Listen, I've, I've supervised a lot of people over the, a lot of years, right? I had, I had guys say, well, I'm here 15 minutes early every day. Well, that's great, but you don't do a lick of work the rest of the day. So I, I love that. He was like, it's absolutely essential you're there 15 minutes every day, early every day. No, it ain't. Anybody that tells you that has never supervised people and never managed people. That is not accurate. I will take anybody that shows up on time and does a good job the rest of the day. 10 times over, the guy that's there 15 minutes or the guy, the gal that's there 15 minutes early and doesn't do anything. We, we live in a society, we say, well, I can do that. There's reward for that. There's no reward for that. We're rewarded by, based upon our labor, based upon what we do. You understand? In, in the work world is what I'm saying. The effectual doer is something that is very simple. You look at it like whoever God puts in your path, you do right by them. You show Christ. That's what an effectual doer is. Then we can understand when we can rightly deal with the people that we encounter. Listen. Your, your goal and objective is not to invite, uh, let, me re, let me rephrase this. Your primary goal and objective when you encounter somebody is to share Christ with them, okay? What I mean by that is be friends, show Christian attributes, be who you are, right? You show those things. You demonstrate who Christ is by your actions and by the life that you live. That's why it's really hard if you're drunk and you're trying to tell them about Jesus and going to church, yeah, it's probably not going to fit real well, okay? Or if you're high or if you're doing stuff you're not supposed to be doing, they probably ain't going to listen real well. You're kind of destroying and <laughs> destroying your witness, right? Take a look at the encounters and the things that we have in this life with the people that we have, that God has placed in your path, in your, your route of travel. That is truth. If we're looking for something magical and something that's going to happen, no, listen, as you go about your normal week, who does God keep putting in your path? If you run across somebody that is in need of your help and you help them, that's your objective. That's your goal for that day because you're, you, you become an effectual doer. Just by simply opening and going through that door that God's opened for you. I've got to go looking for people with problems. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Please don't misunderstand that. But when somebody is presented to you, or and they may not even have necessarily have a problem or a challenge, but 
Maybe it's a listening ear for somebody. Have you ever had those encounters? Well, why didn't someone come talk to me? Maybe the Lord sent them to you. How do we end up talking about that stuff? Ah, spirit moves in mysterious ways. God's given you the opportunity. He, the only thing that we need to realize is we don't want to fall prey to the comforts and fall prey. Listen, not everybody sees life the way you do. Not everybody, if somebody is coming to your way and, you know, you look at him and go, oh, man, I don't know. Maybe God sent him your way for a purpose. Maybe it's to witness to him, to spend time with him, to share the gospel message with him. Your flesh would have you to not do it because I don't touch anything unclean. Right? You do what God says you do. We cannot let our self-righteousness and our propensity for self-righteousness, if you will, it wells up inside of all of us. It's just there. It, it, it's, it's just a product of who we are, being a part of a prosperous nation, being a part of, of what we are. Listen, I got likes and dislikes. You got likes and dislikes. We got full pantries. We got all this other kind of stuff. You know, we got houses. We got hewn cisterns. We didn't dig. We got all that stuff that's listed in Deuteronomy, okay? We got it all. We cannot let... We cannot forget where we came from. We cannot forget the fact that God has placed us in, in a position, has placed us in his body, has placed us in his son, Jesus Christ. His blood covers our sins. It's, it's, it, it is a gift. Our salvation is a gift. It's nothing that you and I can do to deserve it. We do not serve a God that requires a transactional love of him. It doesn't matter what you do. Oh, wait a minute. That's universal. No, that's not what I'm saying. My point of it is, is that we like to think that if I do X, Y, Z, and I do all these things, well, then God will love me. It's really kind of clear. He gives us the two great commandments in the New Testament. Work on those. And the rest will fall in place. Don't lose sight of the fact that we have a moral obligation as well as a scriptural obligation to help those that need help that God has placed in our path. Demonstrate those Christian attributes. Show them who Christ is, not by, you may not be eloquent of words. That's okay. Maybe that's not what you're called to do at that point. Maybe you just need to show them what the love of Jesus Christ looks like in physical form. Maybe you need to show them what compassion and mercy looks like just by helping out. That's all that Samaritan did. He said, I'm just going to take care of you. Why would you take care of me? Because that's what my God does for me. He does it for me, so I'm going to do it for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you.